I have a picture here of Philip Parker, um, who had been constantly bullied because he was gay and killed himself this month. He was 14. And um, I wanted to acknowledge him and also read a list of other teens in the last few years who have killed themselves. And I want to do that here because sometimes um, or often we need each other to hold the reality of what's happening to our community in the world and that it's too difficult to do it alone. And also because I was at a meeting of some of the white woman's anti-racist group I'm part of and there was a discussion about what's difficult. And what came up was that it was difficult to move into actually being active in doing something that people were meeting, but then the transition to being active was difficult. And this feels to me like part of an action where we dedicate our practice and inspire our practice by acknowledging that our practice makes a difference, that, that we know that by doing this work and holding what is difficult and painful, we are healing ourselves and by being conscientious about that, by being intentional and visionary about that, we bring that strength and compassion into the world. And that's the bridge and linking between this practice being an individual practice and this practice being for our community and for the world. So I wanted to read the names. Jacob Rogers, Jeffrey Fair, Seth Walsh, Raymond Chase, Jamie Rodemeyer, Jamie Hubley, Cameron Jacobson, Lance Ludston, Blither Asher Brown, Jack Reese, April the 30th from Utah, Kenneth Weishohan, 14 from Iowa, Philip Parker, 14 from Tennessee, J. Coney Jones, 17 from Minnesota, Tyler Clementi from Yakas, Rutgers University. I also wanted to acknowledge the 226 rehabilitation centers that use corrective rape and torture in Ecuador to change homosexuality, particularly among lesbian women. 
and one woman's name out of uh, that um, who came out about it is Paola Zeritti, 24 years old. And then also to acknowledge the quite well-known soccer player, South African soccer player, who was very out and was um, very um, open about advocating for South African African lesbians who was raped, um, who was raped and beaten because she was gay, is Yudisa Malani. Um, this is what Thomas Merton said. Then it was as if I saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts. where neither sin nor desire can reach the core of their reality, the person each one is in the eyes of the divine. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war and no more hatred and no more cruelty and no more greed. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. <laughs> and then this from Hafiz. Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Often what happens when um, we come to a spiritual practice is we come because we can't hold what is difficult and painful. And that's right. And it's a good reason to come to spiritual practice. And it was the reason that I came to spiritual practice. And one of the practices that supports and builds the heart and strengthens the heart is the practice of cultivating joy, the practice of over and over again seeing our beauty and seeing our goodness in all the different ways that we do. And um, Sahara will talk about that more and I'll talk about that more as well. And if we don't also open from within that practice to what's difficult and painful, then that cultivation of joy gets a little lopsided and sort of and, and becomes 
it's not able to root deeply into our being because we're cutting off part of ourselves. And so what I found for myself, and we each find our own rhythm in this, is this back and forth between turning towards what is beautiful and joyful and what we're grateful for, and turning sometimes at the same time, like, t like today, sometimes later towards what is difficult. Because in the end, what is difficult, and we found that out in our group sharing, isn't so much what is difficult, but rather our not wanting to open to it. That's what the difficult part is, not the actual experience. It is part of being alive to hold what breaks our hearts. It's part of actually accessing love and joy to be able to open to those in our community who couldn't hold what was difficult. It actually is up to us to carry that because they couldn't, because we have been given the blessing of this practice and a path that gives us a way to learn how to hold what they couldn't hold. And so that carrying, that carrying of what can't be carried by some people actually becomes one of our greatest strengths and gifts, not only to them, but to ourselves, because in carrying their pain, in carrying the place where they said, I can't, we are also moved then to turn to that place inside of ourselves, because each one of us here also has places where we say, I can't. I can't quite turn towards that, and I can't quite open towards that. And often we're ashamed of that, or often we're judgmental of it. And especially when we come to a spiritual practice, and we've been practicing for a while, we think we should. And even if we haven't been practicing for a while, just because of the different upbringings we have, and this particular culture of, of, um, of repression, actually, in the United States, of sort of bearing down individualism and conquering, you know, doesn't allow for the acknowledgement of imperfection of saying, I want to say to myself, I know that this is living inside of me, and honey, I can't go there quite now, and that's okay. I want you to know I'm learning how to strengthen so that I can. I know this is a developmental path, and actually I see it not just as developmental within my own lifespan, but I see it developmentally historically. and. When I think about my parents, I know that we carry and I carry what they couldn't heal. I carry that as a wound, and I know they carried their wounds from their parents. 
what they couldn't heal. And I and we have something that is amazing. We have this. We have each other and we have a way to begin to hold life and to begin to relate to it. And that is the the Buddha said that is the greatest blessing and I know you know that that is true, that it is the greatest blessing to be able to actually relate to ourselves more openly and honestly and to say, I see you and I acknowledge you in perfection. I don't have to lie about it. I don't have to pretend it isn't there because it's part of the human condition. And I see myself in that face, that place where I say to myself, I can't hold this in this moment. And the difference is that I have you and the teachings and practice. And it feels to me like in naming that we begin to name that we are a radical movement that there is Occupy New York and Occupy Oakland and we are occupying ourselves. And that is radical to really occupy ourselves because when we can, when we can really be honest and acknowledge this is all that I carry, then I can see that in you too. And in seeing it, I see myself and we enter into a particular friendship that doesn't have to pretend and that can be honest, where we can ask for help because there's no shame and blame in it anymore. So this courage um, that um, we're calling calling into being comes from the willingness to carry what is difficult, to carry that loneliness or that um, uh, kind of tear in the fabric of our being that some of us um, uh, um, never forget. and not insisting that we be different around it, not insisting that we become perfectionist and, and become immediate Buddhas when we're not there. You know, and that this, this, this final action of saying, I can't handle this anymore, comes because somewhere it wasn't okay to be feeling those feelings. And this path is totally dedicated to making it okay that we, however we feel, is okay. Because it is, because it is life living in us. And that we have that container to say that to each other in ways that they didn't have. So 
Um, so I consider every moment of perseverance and every moment of patience and every moment that you sat here when you were exhausted and any and every moment where it felt like the meditation was pointless and you continued, I consider that a revolutionary act because there is a way in doing that you are building the container to hold what he couldn't hold. And that is revolutionary. When we allow ourselves to together feel that and to honor it. We feel our beauty and we feel our courage and we feel our strength. And we feel what Thomas Merton said, which is, I want to bow down to you because I see how beautiful you are. And I know that that's how you feel too, right? Looking at me. And it's not personal. It's not like, oh, Arena, I want to bow down to you. It's because we're reflecting back to each other our divine qualities in doing this practice and that we do want to bow down to each other because of that incredible strength and courage that is there and also that gentleness and that generosity. And so at almost at the very same time, and that's why this practice is described as a bird with two wings, at the same time that we open to what is heartbreaking, in that moment of opening, we're in touch with our courage and our beauty and our divinity. And we then acknowledge it and say, yes, I also see how generous I am. I see that even when I'm tired and I just want to shut my bedroom door and my housemate is talking about something difficult, that I'll stay there. I see that generosity. And I see that even when I want to just do a marathon of some stupid TV show, that I don't do the whole marathon. <laughs> because I know someone needs my presence or my efforts. And that when I walk along the beach and there's, you know, plastic bags and bottles of empty beer or whiskey, that I'll pick them up. Just simple things. I see that. And that this practice of joy is about both. It's about holding what is difficult and then seeing, seeing how generous you are. 
take a moment and contemplate it. Just one action, as simply some of you held the door open, or your generosity in supporting Sahara and I, the generosity of knowing this is important and you want to support us so that we can continue to teach. Or the generosity of what you've given if your parents to your children. Or if your children and your parents are alive, what you are giving to your parents. Whatever it is, taking a moment to see how exquisite that giving is and that giving lives inside of you. And the moments that you love, how exquisite they are. The Buddha said, the more you reflect on these beautiful qualities, the more they strengthen. And it is totally the opposite from the whole scene of don't brag. I grew up in England and that was like heavy duty. You never said anything good about yourself. You know, and if you did, everyone would be on you, you know? And this is totally the opposite. You get to brag in this Dharma hall to yourself and in a while to each other as much as you want because that is the practice. It, it is an incredibly important part of the practice for you to see what is also true about yourself, which is that these energies are living inside of you and they shine out and we get to feel them. Unfortunately, the nature of ignorance is that it's hard for you to see it in yourself. We get to see it. And it's true. So, um, contemplating your beautiful qualities is a fundamental practice in cultivating joy. If you are feeling really down and you cannot access any of your beautiful qualities, don't be shy to ask a friend. Tell me, tell me, about my beautiful qualities. <laughs> I, I, I would love to. I would. It's really a lovely thing to do. And the only times we do it are at birthdays or if we're already dead and there's a great <laughs> memorial service. And then everyone is spending hours talking about your beautiful qualities, but you've already split the scene. <laughs> so don't be shy. <laughs> Just also to um, um, name one other practice because we're, uh, um, we're trying to keep it to um, 45 minutes, um, is when you can't think about your beautiful qualities, when you are too mired in negativity, no problem. That's life. See if you can place your mind with someone who you really revere and honor and let your mind rest there. 
traditionally we're invited to rest our mind on the Buddha and to contemplate that this was a human being who was absolutely, totally free of all greed, hatred, judgment, blame, shame, envy, conceit, resentment, um, um, doubt, sloth, torpor, anxiety, fear, um, wrong view, delusion, and ignorance. That imagine for a moment a mind that is only permeated with clarity, with ease, with stability, with loving kindness and compassion and equanimity. That is the mind of the great beings. Jesus probably had that type of mind too. It's let your mind rest there. Or if not at, with the Buddha, um, because that, you know, for whatever reason, that doesn't quite grab you. Let it rest on a being who you revere. One of my great inspirations is Bishop Tutu. He, he is incredible to me because he's one of the rare bishops that stands up for our community and has been vocal in that split in the Episcopalian Church of standing for our rights, especially in Africa where there's been such uh, um, a reactionary swing against us. He heard almost every day for three years stories of torture and rape and um, the most horrible things that happened to Africans in Africa during the apartheid era and never lost his faith in love and kindness and in God, in his God. And has a genuine, a genuine joy of life that carried him through everything that he heard. I have, I bow down to him. And when I can't sleep and when my mind is totally contracted in a traffic jam, I'll think of Desmond Tutu. There's a mind that is that is so open that he carries everything and still laughs in every interview that he has. Just joyous laughing and giggling. You can rest your mind on any of the great beings that move you. It's a, it's a totally wonderful practice. So of course I can say much more, but my time has ended. So let me, um, let me, um, let me just say, I just discovered this poem by Denise Levitov, a wonderful one of our, our sisters. You have my attention, which is a tenderness beyond what I might say. And I have your constancy to something beyond myself the force of your commitment charges us. We live in the sweep of it, taking courage from one another. Thank you.
I need to take a few deep breaths. Um, so the revolutionary act continues. Arena addressed and spoke to the complexity and the beauty that we have in our community and the challenges that we face because of who we are and who we choose to love. And then to complexify it, my new word, <laughs> there are those of us, as uh, Arena said, the tear in the fabric of our being allows me to never forget. And just by the nature of the color of my skin, I don't have that opportunity to forget. And yet I am more than that. In myself and in others in this room, we bring that culture and that identity and that historical context. And we bring the richness of our communities. So we are of that and we are not that. We are in this community and we're beyond this community. You are in this community, and you are beyond this community. So I wanted to begin with that, to hold, and this too. And I also like poems. Actually, I love poems. I just bought two poetry books. And I was imagining, as we continue to practice and cultivate joy, and experience joy and have the courageous act of being in joy even in the midst of our suffering I wanted to start with this poem and this is actually one I wrote and it's called um, Sometimes Angels Require Care Too and I imagine that as we are on the front line in our lives in many many ways we are these angels as well these wings on my back have become heavy and I carry a burden invisible to many. Very few know my story. A wounded healer, you say? I have been called by many names. It comes with the territory. My heart seems to be losing this battle and I weep from the inadequacies to do more. Becomingly, becoming increasingly frustrated, I have become so damn tired. My wings refuse to assist me in flight. I walk, limping along, holding the suffering of others that I so willingly carry. There comes a time when enough is enough. These days, the gift of healing is leaking sorrow. She burns deeply, leaving scars that hide themselves so well. I have forgotten to remember how to bring such tenderness to myself to consider this treasure with infinite care requires baby steps. I carry long memories of nurturance. 
my wings are overjoyed. So, in the midst or as my heart breaks open in this place that sometimes I feel like um, there's no grace and I can't sink any lower than I can than I am. I find joy in mercy. And during that exercise, Arena asked, Arena and I actually did it together. And what I discovered, and I'm 50-something years old, <laughs> but what I discovered is that in the midst of suffering, joy arises. And it arises without a beckoning. Yes, do I desire it? Yes, do I want it? Yes, can I get do I want to be out of this suffering? Yes, do I don't want to face this? Yes, do I don't want to be with this anymore? Can I go on with the yeses? Of course I do. And then in the midst of some of that, this breeze comes through and taps me and says, oh, Joy's here. And I'm like, what? What? And yet, in that moment, my heart burst open even more. So as we continue to strive in our community in the many different ways that we do, regardless of the work that we do, whether we're parents or teachers or we're in relationships, or even if we're just alone, we work and we have the community and we have outside of the community with their projections and their suffering that they pre project onto us and then what we also internalize. There's a way that joy can shift from just being about, oh, what makes me feel good in this moment, to the collective joy, or the joy of having experiences even in the midst of suffering. And as Arena was talking about some of the young people who have, taught, who have lost their lives, or taken their lives, there have been times when I have felt that way. And I can have imagined that there might have been times where you felt that way. And not just because of my identity, but I also have my skin color that I carry. And whether I choose to walk in that context that that is my identity, I still get that projected onto me, reacted to me, and then of course my own process. So this joy that we move, and this joy that we have, and this joy that we discover, and this joy that we cultivate is something to not only have as an experience for ourselves, but it's also something to share. If you are a parent or you work with children, you know that part of what you do all the time is teach. You teach when you reprimand, you teach when you're te uh, dis showing them something for the first time. You teach when you want to have them cultivate uh, an emotion like sadness or happiness or sharing. You're teaching. And in that extension of teaching, there's a way that your intention hopefully is well received. And with little ones, they're, they're the best, what's, what's that word? Bullshit detectors. 
because there's, there's no way you can play those games with them. So when they feel your heart, they know that that's true. So if, when we cultivate that practice with little ones, we can cultivate that with others. And we can also cultivate that with the little ones in ourselves. So as I'm beginning to understand more and more about mudita, about sympathetic joy, to really sit in the experience of, I am so happy for you, and sincerely mean that, is also a place of generosity. Can we actually stay, say that we can look back at an experience or bring an experience to our mind and say, I am really happy for you and not feel jealous and not feel envious or start the stories about should have been me or it's not fair or how come that happened to you and not me, but oh, I'm so happy for you. So who are you kidding? And, and how sincere is your heart? And I have been practicing this actual thing with different people around that I'm really happy for you. And there have been a couple of people where I find that that truly is what I feel. And then with some other people, I am so jealous. And I'm like, this, maybe I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> maybe I should be saying, I, I'm happy for you and I still long for that for myself. And then that allows me to face it as much as I can and to honor the truth of my experience and yet still hold my sincerity of I'm very happy for you. So I realize as I've been saying this that this has been a practice that I've been doing recently for the last couple of weeks and didn't put all the connections together until just now. It's a, it's a very powerful, powerful practice. And at times, it hurts so much. Because it's not me. And then I want it. So then there's the expectations. And then there's the longings. And then there's the disappointment. And then, of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? <laughs> that's just the beginning, because then it's all, it's so not about them. And then there's this ripple effect of all the other things. And I'm like, can I just be happy for you? So it's a gift. And it's also, it can be a challenging place as well. And as um, we, we know about the Brahma Viharas, and we've been taught that each one helps flow into the next one. So when I talk about the Brahma Viharas, I'm talking about metta, which is loving-kindness, um, sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity. And one of the things that I was uh, really aware of when I was on uh, the month long recently is that two days after, the day after I got here, so a couple people have mentioned Shanti's passing, and she was also a friend of mine. So I, I knew that she was dying, and when I found out, I was here. So it took me right into deep sorrow, deep, deep sorrow. And then there was a little room to give myself a little bit of metta around just holding the sadness. And then I was able to move into um, a, some sympathetic joy that I was happy that she was no longer suffering. And then I could, then from through there, 
I was able to move into uh, being with equanimity. And one of my teachers describes or defines equanimity as having clarity with an open heart. Can I see this and be with this experience as it is, holding it with an open heart? So this experience has allowed me to be with all four of those in very different ways. And I think, I think there's no mistake that they're also called the heavenly abodes. There's something so precious about being with the purity of loving kindness and being with the purity of compassion and being with the purity of sympathetic joy and being with the purity of an open heart with clarity, equanimity. So in our practice, in this day that we are exploring joy and cultivating joy in the different ways, it's also a way to have gratitude, to be in the moment and experience of gratitude. And, and in respect for our time and what we want to do, I'd like to end with this poem that also talks about gratitude. And it's by Rebecca Del Rio. And it's one of my favorite poems. So I offer this poem to you in gratitude. And it's called Arms Full. Gratitude means showing up on life's doorstep. Love's threshold, dressed in a clown suit. Rubber-nosed, gunboat shoots flapping, gratitude shows up with arms full of wildflowers, reciting McEwen or the worst of Neruda. To talk of gratitude is to be the fool in a cynic's world. Gratitude is pride's nightmare, the admission of humility before something given without expectation or attachment. Gratitude tears open the shirt of self-importance, scatters buttons across the polished floors of feigned indifference, ignores the obvious and laughs out loud. Even more, gratitude bears her breasts open rips open her ribs to show the naked heart, the holy heart. What if that sacred heart is not, after all, about sacrifice? Imagine it's about joy. Barefoot and foolhardy, something unasked for, something unearned. What if the beat we hear when we are finally quiet, is simply this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.